So it is February uh, 2017, and uh, it may not look like it, uh, but for the last month, I've been hitting the gym again. Somebody finally, that's, you know, give that guy 20 bucks. I've been hitting the gym again. And uh, I don't know, maybe some of you have also hit the gym again uh, recently. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, it always astounds me that when I take time off from the gym, some more prolonged than others time off, uh, when I go back, uh, I'm always amazed at how slow I am and how weak I am and how much it hurts to hit the gym again. Some of you are understanding me completely. Uh, If you've worked out much over the last month, maybe you're just finally getting out of that sore, hurt, slow phase, but I kind of still find myself in it, okay? Uh, The thing that amazes me is, uh, even though maybe you've done these exercises before, but when you go back uh, and you start lifting weights and holding a bar over your head or in your hands, uh, it's so much easier to let go of the bar and the weight than it is to hold on to it. Okay, right? Uh, When something is heavy from a physical perspective, it's so much easier to let go than it is to keep holding on. And the crazy stuff that we do, it seems like we we never can ever let go uh, at the gym that I go to. But it it always amazes me, right? And and why is it easier physically uh, to, to, to let go? Because it's heavy. Uh, It's as simple as that, and we're weak. And I think that uh, becomes for us uh, a metaphor, easy metaphor, of life, of our relationship to God, of our relationship to Christ, of our faith in Him. Uh, uh, That life can easily get heavy. And I know that uh, some of you here today are in that particular season, right? There are seasons that are light and more relaxed and all that. But some of us are in the midst of a season of life that is really heavy. The circumstances, the pressures, the struggles of our life are really heavy. And, 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 and we find ourselves in a place of weakness. And so when we find our place, uh, whether it be relationally, uh, in our marriage, or something at work, vocationally, Or maybe even the noise that we hear in society about competing truth claims and and, and fake news and true news and all that. That we get all, we start scratching our head trying to figure out what this life is all about. And it's easy, I think, because of the weight of all of that and the weakness of everyday life that we can so often have is is to let go, to give up, to surrender to the pressures around us and to, to give up on life and sometimes our faith. You know, we're diving back into the book of Hebrews, and the name of our series is Jesus is Greater, right? And, and the reason is because the book of Hebrews is, is constantly teaching and correcting and reinforcing the work and the person of Jesus to these people. And it's important for the author to do so because guess what? They were feeling what we feel. Maybe from a different angle or from a different perspective, 
But they were feeling pressure to let go. Pressure to walk away. Pressure to give up. These Hebrew Christians felt temptation to walk away from Christ and to run back to Judaism. They've been told now for ten chapters that, that the old covenant has, been, uh, has now been uh, fulfilled and that there's a new covenant, a new priest, a new sacrifice that is effective in Jesus Christ to save them. And they receive that. And now we see that the author of Hebrews continues to tell them and us in the midst of our pressures and struggles to hold on tight to Jesus. That's the big idea of this morning. As we go back into Hebrews, we're thinking about the person, the work of Jesus in the midst of their day, in the midst of our day, and we're hearing the simple call of the scriptures today that even though life is heavy and it's hard and it's easy to let go, he's saying this, hold on to Jesus. So if you miss everything else, write that down on your notes. This is the main idea of today. Hold on to Jesus. Here's how, how we do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. I know I need to calm down and relax, but I, I'm not really good at that, okay? So let's just celebrate my strengths and just acknowledge my weaknesses. And we're going to dive into this passage and I'm going to try to settle down. Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. Listen to what the Word of God says. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has 
great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. He spent ten chapters arguing, pleading, teaching on the surpassing value, uh, the supremacy of Christ, His sacrifice, His priesthood, His rule and reign. There is no one like Jesus. There is nothing more to place your confidence in other than Jesus. It's been very clear about that. And receiving Jesus by faith has given these people confidence. They can approach God in worship. Did you hear that? Because of Jesus, we as a sinful people can approach God forgiven and covered and and, um, and, and accepted into the presence of God. That gives us confidence before God. And the confidence that we have is in nothing more, nothing less than Jesus. He is the only basis for such confidence. God saves those who receive Jesus by faith, by faith who hold on to Him, right? And receive Him. And they place their confidence in Him. And that confidence is one that we use, right? Look at verse 19 through 25, the last uh, passage in this chapter. Since we have confidence, draw near. Hold fast to your confession. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. There's an appropriate response to having confidence. But really the focus of this passage is the inappropriate response to having this confidence, to receiving this truth about Jesus. There's an inappropriate response. This is what it is, verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. You see, there's an inappropriate response to hearing... The truth about Jesus. Right? The appropriate response was to receive it by faith and to embrace it as our confidence before God. The inappropriate response is to hear it and interact with it, consider it, take a look at it, evaluate it, and say, no, I'm out. And such a response is one that motivates sin. You see, Unbelief will lead to a life of willful sin. He's saying this in a warning. This is the fourth warning in Hebrews. You remember some of the former warnings that he said, listen, don't drift away from Jesus, chapter 2. 
Take care lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart to fall away from the living God. Chapter 3. Chapter 6. He's saying this. Listen. Uh, if, if you, if you, if you um, have tasted of the heavenly gift, right? And, and then you fall away, there's no longer repentance. Return. So, so take care. Don't do that. And now verse 26 of chapter 10. Don't respond to the hearing of the gospel, the truth about Jesus, by saying willfully, deliberately, voluntarily, no, I reject him and I will continue to live a life of rebellion against him. Why? Because those who do so can expect nothing but the just judgment of the living God. One way that we hold on to Christ is that we hear and heed the gracious warning that all those who voluntarily, deliberately look at Christ and say no and live a life of rebellion and sin can have no other expectation than the just judgment of the holy and living God. You see, this is an uncomfortable topic for us today, especially in an age where we feel so entitled to blessing and the perfect uh, life in this world. It's an uncomfortable topic. As a matter of fact, some would argue that, that it's an absurd thought to think that God would judge sin. It's an absurdity based on His love, based on His mercy, based on His grace, that he would never justly judge those who have rejected Christ. That he would save anyone and everyone, no matter what. We've seen books written about this, like Love Wins. right? A distorted understanding of what true love is. Basically, adhering to the idea that there's no way to conceive of a God who would ever judge sin or send real sinners to a place of torment and punishment. But all throughout the Bible, it teaches clearly and gives us warning about what comes for those who live a life of deliberate rejection and sin. And it's a truth we must face. And it's a truth that motivates us to endure. To hold on for the consequences of letting go are eternally disastrous. Right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. This is not a promise to the struggling believer who's wrestling with sin. Please, O oh saint of Christ, hear that. This fearful expectation of judgment is not for you who are wrestling with the flesh and who are struggling in sin. This is talking about the person who willfully, voluntarily, comprehensively, after hearing and receiving the truth, says, no, I will not. Right? The word after they're sinning deliberately is one that is, it talks about signing up for, like volunteering. 
yeah, I'll do that. Like it's, it's, it's really talking about the disposition of the will. Right? So while they may have heard and understood and interacted with the gospel, they never did so in such a way where the disposition of their will, the transformation of their heart, never took place. So this is talking about people who say, no, I'm in. I want to sin with all my life. I reject Jesus and I will rebel against him. And when people do that, there is no other way for a sacrifice to be given, for blood to cover their sin. It's a blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. It's a trampling of the Son of God underfoot. It is a profaning of the blood of the covenant. This is serious, strong language describing people who willfully, voluntarily, and deliberately take a look at Jesus and say, No, I'm going to continue to live life according to my own terms. In letting go of him, in throwing away our confidence, is likened to doing just that. And to do so shows that our heart has not truly received grace, truly been regenerated, made alive, and therefore empowered to obey and to walk away from sin. We hold on to Jesus as we heed the warning of God's judgment on those who reject Jesus. And the reality for us is that while we face this, we recognize that this is not some abstract theory, but this is about real people. This is real people talks about real consequences, real punishment in a real place. And I think we need to let that settle in. And I don't say that insensitively. I don't say that with any joy. But I think that when we see the reality of the fact that without Christ there is no confidence... Without Christ, without being held by Him and holding on to Him, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no sacrifice. And so to let go of Him is to let go of any hope of spending eternity in paradise with Him. Right? There's, there's no hope for salvation. There's no hope for forgiveness in a real sense for real people, for real sins for you and me. Without Christ. And I think this warning is really a yellow light as we approach an intersection. That is meant to warn, graciously warn, those who hear it. And I think that that gives us strength. The warning of God gives us strength. To hold on. And I also think that this kind of warning motivates us for the mission. The reality of judgment motivates love and compassion in our hearts, doesn't it? We care about these people in our lives. We care about the communities in which we live. 
And it wells up inside of us a deep compassion and a love and a motivation to say, you know what, people need to hear and respond to the gospel. I must make my life available to the mission and purposes of God because if they don't hear and if they don't have the opportunity, if they don't trust in Jesus, they can have no confidence to ever receive eternal salvation from His hand. The only thing that we can expect of them, the only thing that they could expect of themselves, whether they want it or not, is fearful expectation of judgment. And I think that should break our hearts for a world that desperately needs Jesus. To real people, real communities, real eternities that are at stake. And I pray that as a church we would be known for our love and compassion and our willingness to step out and be a little uncomfortable in the moment relationally. To maybe risk rejection from our peers and co-workers. Maybe even risk our jobs. So that those people will stand before Jesus one day accepted. Maybe we need to endure a little rejection so that they can receive eternal acceptance from God. Amen? This warning is strong. It is clear. And I think it motivates us in the midst of our circumstances and struggles to hold on and not let go of Jesus. Right? Don't throw away your confidence. Hold on to Jesus but not just that, if you look at verse 32 through 34, there's another way that we can be empowered to hold on. Look at what he says, but recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured. A hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You know, there may be some people here today that uh, the grip, uh, their grip on the Lord is loosening. They're feeling the weight and, and the weariness of their soul is causing their grip to loosen. I've been there. Countless times over the years. I know many of you in talking with you have been there. Maybe some of you are even there now. And I wonder if this kind of uh, promise or command, recall the former days, wouldn't be a meaningful one for you. That you would be inspired to hold on to Jesus as you retrace His grace in your past. I think that's a life-giving thing to do. To, to, we, we are motivated to hold on to Jesus as we retrace. We look back. We remember. We recall the former days when God saved us and poured out His grace. And that grace was manifest in our lives. Do you remember those days? 
Memory has a way of giving strength to the weary. Over the last year or so, you know our family has transitioned from DeWitt. Our first home uh, that we bought about 10 years ago, and now we're in our second home really close by. We love our new house. Uh, We feel like we can breathe and just enjoy it and have more space. And we love being in this community. We love being near to this church. We feel as though it's, it's good. We feel for sure that we've done the right thing in that family transition. But i got to tell you, it's not been as easy as I thought it would be. Because uh, you look back uh, on all the treasured memories that you have, and you realize that those were meaningful times. Those were meaningful relationships. And it's not been the easiest thing to transition for us as a family. And we have had our sad moments in the last year. We felt weak uh, at times together. And you know what has been a life-giving thing for me personally to do? Uh, which I've actually just instituted as a new Maisie family rule. That's what happens, right? I, come, I, I like something and I make everybody else do it. Um, yeah, so anyway. So what's been helpful for me is looking back at old photos. Right? Going back. Seeing memories. Seeing us goofballing in the back, backyard, watching videos, remembering, uh, and, and connecting life. And all that those stories really convey is God was so good to us there. Right? God provided for us. Do you remember when uh, this happened or we had that struggle? And God, do you remember when? And when you spend time reflecting and seeing how far grace has taken you and the specifics of that, guess what happens? You're motivated, inspired to endure. When you remember when, you start to remember why. Right? When you remember when, you start to remember why. And so what he's telling these people, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget uh, what God has done in your life. Don't forget that He has abundantly poured out His grace in your life to such an extent that you started to represent that grace. As a matter of fact, you were willing to give away all your possessions. As a matter of fact, you were serving those in prison. You were praying. You were willing to let go of your possessions. Why? Because you knew. You knew that grace had secured for you a better possession, an abiding one, that this world and all that it gives you can never provide. That's what recalling past grace does. Remember. We do that at the Lord's table. We remember. Why? It reconnects us to past grace. And grace in the past, as we remember it, it it motivates, it strengthens. Some of you need to put your phones down during the day. Uh, Some of you need to put them in another room and turn it off. Some of you need to turn the TV off, forget about Netflix tonight. Some of you need to chill out and stop having an activity every single night that keeps you so consumed in the present that you can't interact with the faithfulness of God in the past so motivating you to be faithful in the present. Some of us need to sit down with a journal and a pen and say, Lord, remind me of the ways in which you have worked your grace in my life. Recently, we did like a a My Circle question in our small group. And somebody asked uh, uh, asked the question, uh, 
Tell us about your life before Jesus and how He saved you. And I'll never forget uh, not hearing that question for quite some time. All of a sudden, I was like struck by the emotion of that. Like, wow, I haven't thought about this in quite some time. Can you believe what God has done in our lives? Can you even expect in any way, shape, or form that God would have cared for us in that way? And I was reinvigorated to obedience. Retracing grace motivates us to hold on. Two more things that I want to point out to you. We also hold on to Jesus as we admit our constant need to receive God's grace to endure. Pride stands in the way of your endurance. Look at what he says. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. Let me be clear with you. The Scriptures are waking us up to the fact that we have need of endurance. You are not good on your own. You do not have it together on your own. You will not hold on to Jesus unless you admit that you have need of endurance. And He is not saying you have need to come up with your own man-centered, manufactured strength in the flesh. He's saying you have need in your weakness of the strength of God. That's what you need. In order to endure, you need the power of God. Do you humbly recognize that this morning? The only way I'm holding on is if God empowers me to do so. Unless He empowers me each and every moment, I will let go at first chance. I will loosen my grip. You have need of endurance. And guess what? If you're feeling weak today spiritually, perfect. Because you're in a perfect place to receive the strength of God. For it's in weakness that He is made strong. Right? That we are made strong in our weakness. His power is perfected what? In our weakness. You have need of endurance. The problem with these people is they lacked the endurance necessary to hold on. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus provides the strength that we need. And guess what? He gives us means by which we can receive grace constantly. Every single day. He's not abandoned us to our own devices You see, so often we think that God has dispensed His grace for salvation 20 years ago, and then someday we're going to go to heaven and we'll receive grace, but in the middle, we're on our own. Everyone say boo, like you would for the ravens, right? Boo. That's not true. We receive grace at salvation, saving grace. We will receive grace when we see Jesus face to face. Somebody say amen to that. But in the middle, we are designed to receive grace from God every single step of the way so that we can keep holding on to Jesus. 
But you have to start by admitting your need for endurance. You need it. And then you continue by receiving grace in ways He has chosen to give it to us. I don't have all day to go into every one of these things, but here's the deal. You have to think about this critically in your own life. Here are the ways in which God dispenses His grace to you. A grace that sanctifies you. A grace that purifies you. A grace that preserves you between the receivings. Continual receiving in this way. First of all, He deposits His Spirit in your heart. Reliance on the Holy Spirit is a way in which He provides grace to His people. You're not meant to live on your own accord. You can't do it on your own. You have need of the Spirit of God. And the wonderful thing is, for those of us who have confidence in Christ, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. God Himself is dispensing grace by indwelling us. Are you relying upon the Spirit? You're doing that on your own strength in the flesh. Second, it's the Word of God. The Scriptures. Guys, no Word of God, no way you're holding on. Right? We receive saving grace by hearing the Word. We receive sanctifying grace by hearing the Word. The Word of God is God's grace to you. Here, when you're weak and hungry, feast. It's grace. Right? Your refusal to interact with it and make excuses why you're too busy is why you're weak spiritually. It's why you're hungry. Why your soul is not satisfied. Why you feel like letting go. It's about your interaction with the Word. He's given you all that is necessary. The Scriptures are sufficient. They're clear. They're good. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is grace to you. Next, the people of God. You cannot expect to have strength to hold on to Jesus if you live your life in isolation. You will fail miserably on your own. Some of you have stories and testimonies to that regard. So when we miss corporate worship, when we say, nah, I don't really need to get involved in a missional community. I don't really need gospel-centered relationships. I can figure it out on my own. We're saying pridefully that I'm not, I don't really need God's grace in that form. I'll be fine. I'm good. Right? But you see that, that the church of the living God is a grace to you. It is a gift to you. And as you approach God's people in faith and in love and expectation, you will over time. Let's be honest. This whole I love Jesus, hate the church stuff is silliness. Listen, if it weren't for the church, where would we be today? Where would our walk with God be if it were not for the people of Christ in our lives? Where would we be? This is a gift. This moment this worship service is a gift. These long sermons are a gift. They just are, man. I don't know what to tell you. They're a gift. God is dispensing His grace through the people of Christ. Can't do it alone. Prayer. His ear is always attentive. 
He can handle your cries. He's available at all times. Prayer is a direct connect to the gracious ear and active response of God. Ask and you shall receive. Amen? Prayer. A means of grace. The table. We've already talked about that. So often we think we just do it because Jesus said to. Yes, we do it because Jesus said to. But understand this, that each and every week as we approach the Lord's table by faith, remembering, recalling what Christ has done, Jesus is dispensing His grace to us to sanctify us when we are weak. It's a means of grace. So God has given you His grace in specific ways. We have to admit that we need it. Otherwise, we're staring at it and saying, God, thank you, but no thanks. I can do it on my own strength. I will hold up the heavy weight of this life and I will not let go and I don't need your help, Lord. How many of us here would be presumptuous to say something like that in God's face? And yet so many of us Live that very existence. But here's the good news. If you're weak today, God has His grace for you. Right? Admit your need for it. Throw yourselves into His arms. And you will be empowered to hold on. Last thing. We hold on as we trust in Jesus and hope for what He has promised. Right? My righteous one will live by faith. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. Right? Trusting. 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 Continuing to see Christ for who He is. Recognizing that He's trustworthy. That no matter how weak and how difficult it is, we trust Him. And really, I think that trust is that, and faith is that metaphor of us just really grabbing a hold of the neck of God. Right? You, you may have I've heard me talk about this before. It's the image in my mind of, of the nature of, of salvation, right? That, that, and it may be a bad one, but it's, it's the one that, that always has stuck in my mind, especially as a father, that, that the father comes to the child and grabs a hold of the child and lifts up the child and brings the child to his chest and holds on. That's what salvation is. God coming to the child and bringing and holding the child. That's what saving grace has done. And at the same time, we're called to receive that grace and respond to it by the, like the child that, that is held. What does the child do? Wrap the arms around the neck of the Father. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. He holds us by His grace. We hold Him by His grace. Recognizing that we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. No one can take one of mine out of my hand. They're mine. And God continues to empower us by His grace as He holds us. Okay, We live by faith in what He has promised. And all that He has promised is really about grace, right? right? His, His covenant of grace made a promise to pour out my grace to a people. If they trust in me, I'll save them. They hold on to me, I will sanctify them. If they hold on to me, I will glorify them. 
that the Christian life can really be explained by receiving and responding to grace. That the operative principle is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That that is our hope. That is our confidence. That is our provision. It's always and will always be about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What He promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that He kept in Christ and now is dispensing to the church. It's all about His covenant, His promise to give grace. And we are those who have received it, who continue to receive it, and will receive it. And those in receiving it respond to it with faith, with joy, when we see Christ face to face. But for now, we respond to grace by holding on to Christ and never letting go. So hold on to your confidence. Don't throw it away. Heed the warning. It's real. It's true. Receive grace and admit your need for it. Recall the former days. Think back on all that God has done. And live each day by faith in the expectation that someday you will look into the eyes of Christ and receive everything that He has promised. If you're feeling weak today, leave encouraged. Know that we are here for you. If you need prayer, you need counsel, wrestling with a struggling faith or a situation that you just can't seem to bear on your own, maybe you need to repent and say, I've tried to go at it my own way. Come and talk to us. We will love you. We will pray for you. We will help you. We will preach gospel over your life that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We will find ways to help you get connected to the means of grace to bring back vibrancy and health and strength to your walk with God. And together, we will keep holding on and never let go of Christ. Amen? Amen. Don't worry, I'm on vacation next week. So it'll, it'll be shorter. But know that this sermon is, in my heart, is very pastoral in tone. We know you're wrestling with difficulty and struggle and persecution and, and doubt and skepticism, that it's hard to hold on. But we also know in the faithfulness of God, we also know that the faithfulness of God to provide His grace is very real and more powerful than any situation that you're walking through. And we are just simply here to help connect you to that grace. Hold on and don't let go. Let's pray. Father, we needed your grace to save us from our sins. You gave it to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we need your grace to enter into the glory of heaven, to live a life of eternal life of acceptance and joy and worship 
We need your grace. But God, on a Monday morning when we're just struggling, and life is hard, culture promises us so many things. They have their own forms, false forms of grace that give us joy and pleasure and relief. God, we confess together that so often we run to the promises of this world. We'd believe anything but Jesus. We'd hold on to anything in this life that would just help in the moment. And so often while we see your gracious hand extended in the spirit and in the word and in the church and in the table and in our prayer closet, we say, "Ah, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to do something different. I'm not really interested in that. Lord, I confess my own sin in that regard. But God, today we've seen that there's really nowhere else to go. Just like Peter, when something's hard, there's a temptation to walk away. But like Peter, we say, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the grace that we need to sustain us in this time. And so together we turn to you and we trust in you. And we place our faith and our hope in Christ. And all His people said, Amen.